0: it's time for dr laura i swear she's not gonna bore you for sexy advice you don't have to think twice just say
1: you're asking for a friend welcome to asking for a friend podcast i'm your host dr laura mcguire an intersectional queer sexologist and doula Each month, we sit down with a special guest for a thought-provoking conversation on how our sexuality, gender, race, faith, and ability shape our sexual experiences and identities as queer people. Welcome to Asking for a Friend. I'm your host, Dr. Laura McGuire, and today we have David Hayward, the Naked pastor. I'm sure many of you have seen his incredible art on Instagram and on the internet in many different inclusive spaces, having conversations around LGBTQ inclusion in Christianity. So, David, thank you so much for joining us here today. I would like to ask you a little bit more about your work and how you became such a passionate ally for the community. But first, we always ask the question: Can you tell us what makes you fabulous?
0: <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show, and I'm really glad to be here, and I everybody out there who's listening in. Um, you know what? I'm just a guy. I'm just I'm just this normal guy who's at home drawing pictures and writing and engaging with people online, and. Um, you know, yeah, I used to be a pastor and, and uh, you know, I went to seminary. I did all the things and planted churches, started churches and everything. But I left the ministry in 2010. And apparently I'm continuing my role as a pastor online. That's what people tell me. Um, and, and I I figure I'm just helping people. That's I just love helping people. I love helping people feel welcomed. I love helping people feel validated. I love helping people, people feel safe um, and uh, befriended and loved. So that's just what I do. I think that's fabulous. I'm not saying I'm fabulous, but the, the stuff that's going on out there um, online between the people I'm engaging with, I think that's really fabulous, and I enjoy participating in that. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, I I would say that makes you fabulous as well. Uh, Also, it's fabulous that you are our first ally we've ever had on the show. And this is now recording for season two. It's been part of the community, but because of your work, we really wanted to hear your voice. And I think that perspective is really important to our audience as well.
0: Well, thanks very much. I'm, I, um, it's so, uh, it's difficult for me because I'm, I'm a cis gender, white, straight, male guy. And uh, I, I have a lot of friends, though, who are LGBTQIA+, and um, I love them very much. I care about them. And I want to stand up for them and defend them. I leave it up to them to call me an ally. I'm their friend. I, I'm, I, I'm willing to call myself their friend and everything. But if somebody calls me an ally, I, I humbly accept that. I'm very reluctant to call myself an ally because I know I'm coming from a place of, you know, from my own identity and so on. And I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that there's such things as blind spots and ignorance and, um, things I haven't experienced and so on. So I appreciate it when people consider me an ally and I, I accept that as humbly as an honor. Um, so I just, I just do what I do, um, defending and standing up for, and um, trying to give story to, to my friends who are gay or trans or bi or whatever. And uh, it ends up, if, if somebody says you're an ally, then that's great. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do. And I think, you know, in conversations around allyship for so many different communities, that is the exact attitude people are asking for, right? We don't want to self-anoint ourselves as, oh, I'm this amazing person who has come in to save these people. And right right. There, right. That's, that's not it. That's not allyship. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm really curious, you know, you speak to, okay, yes. At one time in your life, you were in a very different space, doing mm-hmm. very different things. Right. And, you know, probably in 2010 or further back than that, would not have imagined if current you uh, were going back in time and saying, hey, guess who you become? A cartoonist who focuses on queer inclusive Christianity. So can you kind of walk us through that journey and also where you came up with the name Naked Pastor?
0: (laughs) Naked Pastor was, uh, we'll start there, was uh, born out of my need to find a website. I mean, I was just looking for a name for my website. My first, the first one I had was davidhayward.ca, which is, stands for Canada. That's boring. And then I came up with churchpundit.com, and I thought, that's kind of pretentious. And then, um, like, I'm, not, you know, like political pundit, church pundit. Um, and then... Um, I I thought of Naked Pastor um, at that time, the Naked Chef, the Naked Archaeologist, the Naked Truth, things like that were a deal. And I thought Naked Pastor would be cool because I was a pastor and I, I was blogging and I wanted to write um, in a way that invited people behind the curtain, behind the scenes to see what was really going on in the life of a pastor. I mean, the real nitty-gritty. I wanted them to know the real intimate details of a pastor's life, a real pastor's life, not just the great sermons and all the converts and all the churches and all the money and all the great music and the wonderful love and kumbaya and all that stuff. I wanted them to see behind the curtain to see like the conflict, the rejection, the betrayals, the struggle with money, um, you know, the silly accidents that happened during worship. And, you know, all the, I wanted to see them to see all that. People falling asleep in the pew, all that. I wanted to see, I wanted to, the real deal. And so that's why I called it Naked Pastor. It's just me, me being honest and real and raw. So, and, you know, I, I never, I say this honestly, I never remember preaching against LGBTQIA ever. I always did struggle with it though. Because I grew up in um, a religious context that, um, first of all, it was a sin, uh, you know, from start to finish. And then, uh, you know, developed into uh, love the sin or hate the sin kind of a thing. And then, uh, you know, but I never, I always struggled with all of that. So I never remember preaching on it or teaching on it or discouraging a gay person or anything like that. I was, I always remember myself being supportive and kind of avoiding it in the pulpit because I didn't know where to, st- I didn't understand how to land theologically. Um, and then a, a bunch of things happened in my life, you know, um, in the 1990s and so on that changed my mind. Uh, and I, I, I just came to the conclusion that this is all a hoax. Like it was all, it's not real. I mean, LGBTQIA folk are are just as real and just as valid and just as wonderful and you know as anybody else. And and that the total equality and fairness and inclusion and everything. So that's when I I started to um, in 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 like year two thousand and nine when it really crystallized for me. I had a very profound sort of a epiphany, I guess you'd call it. And I, I just started speaking from that place where I knew we were all one, we're all connected. The only thing that divides us is thoughts, uh, that seem to divide us is thoughts, and that turn into words, that turn into division or appear to be division. So um, that's why I, I'm, I'm so strongly um, supportive of everyone, uh, because I, I know deep down we're deeply connected at a fundamental level and um, not divided. And that people will use ideas and words to attempt to make it appear so, but we're not. That was a long rant.
1: <laughs> no, that's a great story. It's not a rant, that's a great story. So, yeah, I'm curious, you know, if if there are any of those kind of epiphany moments that you're you're comfortable sharing. But, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I grew up very similarly, half my family's Catholic, half is Baptist. So I got both, lucky me. Yeah. And, you know, was going to be a nun for many years, studied for six years to enter, um, planning to enter when I would turn 18. And then, you know, went through that classical kind of deconstruction experience, came out, um, left my abusive marriage, got my college degree, like all this transformation. So I I very much relate to your story. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to like, what were some of those epiphany moments and then, what was the bridge between realizing, yeah, this is this device of this does not need to exist, and I want to capture that in art
0: uh, yeah um, I remember when I was quite young um, and very much a Christian evangelical in a Pentecostal church, you name it. Um, I somebody I love very much, very close to me, related to me, um grew up in a very uh, in a home where she received no love from her father and mom and dad and her mom and dad ended up getting divorced and just her her bitterness her sadness her her grief and her the intensity of her questions about god and even the existence of god and all this and i loved her so much i love her still of course um but uh that sent my theology into a tailspin where this person was saying i I can't believe there's a God and who would allow this to happen to me. And um, I was like, I totally empathize with that thought, you know, so you understand that's, that's a major, major moment when you suddenly realize, you know, I was taught how to evangelize. I was dropped on beaches (laughs) as if it was Normandy to convert people resting on their picnic blankets and here was somebody who was saying, I don't know if I can believe in God. Um, and I love that person. And I, I'm thinking, I'm loving this person, even though she's saying this and believes this. Am I bigger than God? Is my heart bigger than God? You know, certainly, you know, if, if, if God is at all loving, he would empathize as well. So, um, and I, I say he and all because that's the way I thought it in those days. Okay. and even God. So, um, and then uh, this is many years later um, where uh, we met friends, my wife and I met friends uh, at a motel and we were just sharing a room and we filled up our travel mugs with wine, went out in the hot tub one night and just to hang out and talk and laugh and share memories and, So we were in the hot tub and there's a pool there and there was a couple of guys talking and they were saying, hey, you know, we're kind of introducing ourselves. And they asked what my friends did. And, you know, I'm an editor and I'm this and I'm that and all that. And then they asked me what I did. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And one of them got out of the pool and left. And he said, hey, we're gay. Um, We're a couple. And he started to tell his story of the abuse he suffered in his church, at his job and in his home. Um, they couldn't get furnace oil. They both they both lost their jobs. They were kicked out of their churches. They were uh, you know on and on and on. I'm like, I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I couldn't believe the inhumanity that they had suffered because they were gay. And that to me was another huge moment where I felt empathy towards them. And if I could feel empathy, certainly God should feel empathy for them. And, and so that's just the way I think. And, and, and so that, that was another major moment where, so you have to understand though, I, I, I had these stories, I had these epiphanies, I had these moments where I, I recognized this, this empathy I was feeling sort of opened the, the door to this deep connection I felt we had. Uh, on a very deep and fundamental level, the sort of unity of all things, the all in all, the reconciliation of all things that we're all one, united in this one huge movement. And, um, and and yet, on the other hand, I had all this theology and Bible and everything I'd been taught. Right. So and they were a conflict. And I, I could not reconcile these two things. So I was uh, in my heart. I was one place in my head and another, to put it simply and um, really, really struggling. And it got so, so intense, the struggle, that I was ready to throw in the towel. I was really, li- literally ready to throw in the towel and say, I quit and just walk away from religion, the ministry, the church, Christianity, and you know, everything, um, just so I didn't have to deal with that tension anymore. And um, I, in 2009, I had that huge epiphany moment where I saw that we were all connected, we're all one, there's no division, it's just all here in our heads, our thoughts. And then then I felt that peace of mind come over me that's never left. And I'm very grateful for that. And so that's how I that's what I operate out of now. So that that's my story. That's how I got here through these through empathy and love and um you know epiphanies. That that's that's a good. That's a good pair, isn't it? Empathy and epiphanies. And, and that's how I got where I where I am. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: Exactly. No, and I I mean I think all major decisions should be operating from those two lenses, empathy and some kind of epiphany, some kind of realization, yeah. right? Some kind of unveiling. <laughs> we talk about revelation in seminary, right? It's like unveiling of some kind of truth. Um, so but but then going back to the art piece. Oh yeah always an artist, you know, how did this kind of bridge connect? Because I think I was almost, when I was thinking about being, and then I was going to work in curation at the Vatican, that was like my dream. Um, I love the art.
0: Move on for the top.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, you know, I think art has the power to go where words cannot, right? In just this kind of visceral, experience where we can see our feelings reflected in paint or ink or whatever other medium um
0: and that
1: can be so transformative so I'm curious yeah how did you kind of blend that
0: so I I don't ever remember not drawing or painting like I grew up in a home my dad was an artist and he painted oil on canvas or board all the time and landscapes. And so I remember picking up a pencil and just sketching and drawing and then watercolor and just painting. And, um, I, I just never remember not drawing and, uh, and painting. So, um, you know, and then I started, yeah, I went to seminary and all that where the art was kicked out of me. Um, uh, and, you know, once in a while I would paint, but it was more like you know I, and i i i was on that i was like you i was on the fast track to be a pastor well actually my first ambition was to be a a, a new testament uh, uh scholar and professor in new testament studies at some seminary or university somewhere um but i got a long story short i got side railed and ended up into the, in the ministry and as a pastor and so i i was just focused on that but i continued doing my watercolors and things like that once in a while and um because people like them and and uh i like doing it and then um it was in, around 2006 there was a couple of like i really like a good cartoon like i i love a one frame cartoon few words fewer words the better i don't like long strips with a lot of words um but uh, one frame like a new yorker cartoon New Yorker magazine like where there's like one frame and one sentence and just real punchy I love that or, or far side or something like that um and I was just inspired by this one certain cartoon cartoonist and I thought he's doing this every day I'm gonna to try to do it every day just draw a cartoon every day and until I run out of ideas. So I thought I might last a couple of weeks. And here it is, 16, 10, yeah, 15, 16 years later, I'm still drawing a cartoon nearly every day. And uh why I kept doing it was I got more reactions from my cartoons than from my writing. I mean, you know, that that's the power of of a of a of an image, like you say, like the power of art, one image. Like in a split second, you see it. You can't Say, oh, I don't want to see that, or, oh, I'm not interested in that, or scroll on or say this is boring or whatever. You see it, and it's too late. You can't unsee it. And that I love that speed. I love that power. I love the efficiency of it and um, how it just goes straight to the heart, bypasses your head. And uh, I just, you know, I people started responding to my cartoons way more than they were responding to my writing and i thought wow a picture is worth a thousand words it really is in fact i think my pictures are worth a thousand sermons and and so they they just cut you know so for example one of my first gay cartoons it's called a gay cartoon apparently is when jesus is holding hands with a man and they're walking together and and the man says sorry jesus but i think i'm gay and Jesus says, "Dude, relax. I already knew that long before you did." And so many people love that cartoon. Well, so many people hate it. You know, I could write a whole blog post with a thousand words about, you know, uh, the inclusion of gay people and you know the love of Christ or whatever like that. And people will read the first sentence, and say, "Oh, I don't agree with that," and scroll on, forget about it. But if you see it, it's in your head. You can't unsee it. You got it. De- it demands. You're, it's going to get a response either you're going to say like I hear from some people oh my god it made me cry or I feel so welcomed and included and loved and validated or you're all going, you're going to hell or you know you're you know the bible clearly says or whatever right so yeah
1: yes yes no I, I think that that is So important. I love how you say that. Worth a thousand sermons. Because how many long winded speeches do we listen to? And we're like this is not causing any kind of revelation like we were just talking about or or awareness or not even challenging people a lot of times, right? On on our unconscious biases in faith communities. I'm, I'm curious like how has your journey then also progressed with your artwork, like your personal awareness, your ability to connect to the LGBTQ community and be, like you're saying, someone Mm -hmm. that people recognize as an ally. Um, Because I'm sure when you drew that first cartoon, you weren't imagining how much of an impact it would have and how this would expand over time.
0: I had no idea. Um, No, and that's the that's kind of the cool thing about what I do is if I did, sometimes I think if only I knew what people really wanted, um, then I would, I'm going to be blunt. I could make more money. But when I sell my art, cause I know exactly what people want. Instead, I'm what I do as an artist is I'd let it come out of me. I let it overflow onto the paper or whatever. And um, so I'm just drawing what I want to draw, and if people love it, great. If they don't, fine. I, I can never predict what the response is going to be. Sometimes I draw a cartoon and I'm like, "Oh, I'm in a hurry. I got to go. I got to." So I scribble something quick and I put it up, and it goes viral. Another time, I'll draw a cartoon and I'm crying, and say "This is so meaningful." I'll put it up, and it just falls flat. I don't know why that happens, but it does happen. It just. Uh, and so I can't predict and it's, that's probably a good thing um, because I want my art to be a true expression of my journey and my thoughts and feelings and so on and and not consumer oriented. Right. So. Um, yeah. So uh, my journey uh, has been very, very interesting. I mean, I'm just a surprise. Like I just did a video yesterday on TikTok that went like I had. Under a thousand followers on TikTok, and now suddenly I've got over two thousand followers, and this one video has gone over twelve thousand views, and I'm like, what has happened? Like I, I can never. I wished I'd been more careful in what I said, you know, looking back, um, and and I feel that way about some of my cartoons and everything. Some of them. Are famous. Some of them are well loved by people all around the world. And I'm I'm thinking, if only I knew that, I would have drawn that hand a little better than I (laughs) I drew it. Right. So it's yeah, it's a very very interesting story. I'm very so what I'm what I'm saying is, is I'm 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 drawing from a very naive naive posture. I'm never I'm you know I'm just drawing what I feel, what I want, what I'm passionate about, what I care about. And I'm just really happy that people out there are responding to it in a positive way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I was thinking about too when I was preparing for our conversation was how the Christian church in general and kind of using that broadly, obviously there's you know thousands of denominations and differences therein. But right. how how things have evolved in the past, you know, 20 years that I, I, I'm maybe a little younger than you, but, you know, have this very clear memory. But I I remember, you know, being a kid in the 80s and 90s and seeing messages that, you know, were, were so very clearly anti-LGBTQ. And now I see a more subversive approach, right? Where it's like, oh, we're saying something positive or we're, we are inclusive, all are welcome, right? And you do cartoons about that. And the truth is, you know, they're trying to get people in so they can still provide this kind of conversion therapy, even if it's not in that format, it's in that mindset. So I'm curious, you know, how have you seen in this work, things evolve both on that side, the negative side, but also the positive. I'm sure a lot of Pastors are questioning things and reaching out to you because you've gone through that experience of rethinking things.
0: Yeah, so um specifically in relation to the LGBTQIA reality. Um yeah, I've I've gotten messages from pastors and so on, just saying, you know, David, I I want to thank you. You actually changed my mind. And um Now I don't know what to do because I'm in a denomination that, you know, uh, blah blah blah, and um, so I do get messages like that quite quite often. Um, In fact, some of my best friends now have been my worst enemies in the past, and uh, where they've they've just changed their mind, and um, sometimes it's my art that does that. There's something really really. Uh, powerful in my opinion when well no it's not just my opinion i hear this from other people so for example that cartoon i mentioned of jesus walking hand in hand with the gay man um to to see uh, jesus loving a gay person like to to see it to visualize it is powerful it's so on the one hand, it's like uh, a, a revelation of love and validation and inclusion and acceptance and affirmation and all that. On the other hand, it's an offense. It's an idolatry, right? It's it's because I have drawn Jesus in a way that shouldn't be drawn. It shouldn't be. It's it's not possible for some people. So. Um, yeah, I, I I get messages from people all the time because of the power of art. I'm not just saying my art's powerful. I'm just saying art in general is powerful because it 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 can um it can like like I said before, it bypasses something. It bypasses your defenses, I guess. And all your excuses and all your explanations and everything. It bypasses that. And when it, it skirts around your defense and hits your heart and you start to cry and you don't know why, it, it, that's powerful. And that's that's what actually changes people. I very, very seldom, I do not argue with people. In fact, I just did a post on Instagram. You should go read it afterwards, of uh, that Jesus didn't argue with people. I I there's no evidence that Jesus argued or debated. He was not interested. Because he knew the only way that people change is through some kind of revelation or trauma. You Very, very seldom can you argue somebody into agreeing with you. I've never seen it work for me, and so I don't even bother. What changes people, what changes me, is some kind of, like, like we said, uh, an epiphany or empathy or an event. Or 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 something, like you could be anti-gay your whole life, but if your son comes out to you gay, suddenly you have to, so that's trauma. You have to do something, and so that's that's how change occurs. Trans true transformation, and and art can do that. Art can somehow bypass your defenses and cause change. It causes a causes some kind of a crisis in inside of yourself, and. Um, that leads to some kind of trauma that, that, um, makes you have to change. You have to change. And, uh, so that's, that's why I think I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until I can't anymore. Uh, you know, through art. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for not stopping because we don't want you to stop. We want you to keep going. This is, this is so important. And I love, you know, Billy Porter said recently in an interview, you know, that one of the first things, I think he said the first thing that people lose when they come out is their spiritual community, right? It's this immediate exchange transaction. Like I am going to be my authentic self. So goodbye, God, goodbye community, goodbye traditions around faith. And, you know, how like, deeply, deeply traumatic that is. Um, and, that? yeah. Go ahead. So
0: I know that feeling of coming out theologically or spiritually and being rejected and and, and losing my spiritual community as well. But it's only because of things I believe. It's not because of my identity. Somebody who comes out, um, you know, gay as gay or trans or bi or whatever, and they're they're rejected and lose their spiritual community. That's that's way more impacting because it's because of who you are, not just because of what you believe. So it's it's I can never imagine. I try to imagine being rejected just because of who I am. Um, That would be and and so that's why i my friends who have come out and lost their spiritual communities man the the courage that takes i can't i can hardly imagine so
1: exactly exactly yeah. it is it is an incredibly courageous act and one of my one of my dreams for my work is to eventually create a virtual chaplaincy program for chaplains who can serve people who are in the coming out process or looking for that connection because geographically sometimes you're lucky enough to be in a major metropolitan area that has that and a lot of times you don't um and there's not not people to talk through these different questions with um we're almost at time so i have time for questions. right know. I want to keep talking forever, but uh, hopefully we'll have you back sometime too. Um, One thing I want to ask you was, what is your advice for um, folks who are trying to either find community for themselves that is inclusive, uh, faith spaces, or people who are in positions of leadership and saying, you know, I want to, I want to change the dynamics here. I want to challenge this. I want to make this a better environment. Um, And they're, and they're in that place of, I saw your picture. or I heard this podcast or whatever, but I don't know where to start. What is my next step? What would you tell them?
0: Okay. So uh, finding friends is hard for anybody and everybody. I was just talking to my son yesterday who's saying, I feel, like I don't have any really good friends who really get me and understand me. And my, he's straight, by the way. It, he's just talking about you know that's the, that's the thing about the church. They, you walk in and you're sort of served on a platter a whole network of relationships where you you can form friendships very quickly. You've got things to do nearly every night of the week. You've got prayer support. You've got financial support if you need it. You have got mechanics. You got babysitters. You've got stuff to do. Um, You've got potluck dinners. You've got uh, prayer groups. You've got home groups and Bible studies and women's groups and men's, you know, Um, and you leave that and that artificial, I might add, that artificial reality. And you walk out into the world where you have to you become like everybody else who has a hard time finding, making and keeping friends. It's just a it's just a reality across the board. it It's hard work. Lisa and I are constantly, my wife and I are constantly we 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 let's let's reach out to this couple or let's try this couple or let's try to restore that friendship or the because we're always initiating. we're we're the ones always initiating, trying to you know, build up some kind of a friendship network because we know as people age, you know what kills people? It's not old age; it's loneliness. You, you know that as a psychologist. I mean, it's it's loneliness that that um, people die from, and you know, and it's and its ramifications. It's hard work, uh, including for for gay people, trans people. You you've got to figure out a way. There are ways, you know. You you figure out a way to network with other people, other groups, other something. To uh, form friendships and to make them and to keep them, and you have to take the initiative. If Lisa and I waited for people to call us to do something, we'd be here all by ourselves all the time. We have to constantly initiate. So, but that's the way it is. And I, I was saying that to my son. He was like, "Yeah, I find the same thing. I constantly have to initiate." And it's don't take it personal. It's not that they don't love you. It's just that they're the same. They're insecure. They're shy. They're busy. They're board. there is about leaders who do want to implement change in their communities. Yeah. First of all, hopefully you have a, you're a part of an organization that would support that. If you're not, you're going to be fighting on two fronts, right? You're going to be fighting the rear uh, with uh, your organization, trying to limit and restrict you what you can do because of their policies. And then on the front end, you've got trying to persuade your community to become as open and inclusive and affirming and validating as you are. So those are the two fronts you've got to fight on, but I'm seeing people do it and, and it, it, it can work uh, and uh, working from the inside. Um, And, you know, uh, just, I encourage you to try it. Some people are like, I can't, I can't keep up this fight anymore, fighting systemic evil, um, uh, systemic homophobia or whatever. And uh, I need to move on. I totally get that. I totally understand that. Some people try to stay and change things from the inside. I get that too. I tried that for 30 years. Um, (laughs) And here I am on the outside. So, you know, it is a battle, uh, but I appreciate the people who are fighting that battle for sure. And I'm here for them. I'm here to encourage them. And you know, I, I I let them use my art in their sermons and their streaming and everything. They you can use my art and, and share it and um uh to try to help persuade others too. So
1: yeah. Yeah. We're
0: yeah. In this together.
1: We are, we are, right? Because it's It is something that we have to do collaboratively. We can't do it in in siloed spaces. It's one, too much work and we'll all burn out. And two, you know, I think different perspectives, different insights, all of these different tools working together. Yeah, that's what that's what causes those moments of epiphany for other people who may be on the side of opposition. Yeah. So my last question we ask every guest Oh. is what is the best sex or relationship advice you've ever received?
0: Um, the best sex or relationship advice I've ever received. Well, I'll tell you, this isn't going to be a, a simple answer. I'm sorry. The best book out there, in my opinion, on marriage and relationships, romantic relationships is um, uh, Passion of Marriage by David Schnark. And in my opinion, it's the best book out there. And his argument is, his, his theme is that when two people enter into a relationship, it's like entering a crucible where things happen. So that when, if I change, it requires Lisa to change. And if Lisa changes, I have to change. It's like a dance. When she moves, I have to move. If I move, she has to move. It's when um, a partner refuses to adapt that breaks the marriage, that breaks the relationship, passionate marriage. That's what it's called, passionate marriage. Um, And, and so that the, the, for me, that means communicating, constantly, constantly renegotiating and communicating. And so for me, the the number one key in a, in a relationship, including the quality of sex you're having and um, fun and joy and um, meaning and purpose and peace and all that is communication. Number one, number one, communication. If that's number one. Uh, you know uh, talk 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 and honestly 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 vulnerably talk and to me that's the best advice I can give
1: I love that that's great advice that's great advice and I would say I mean I think communication yes critical is actually like getting the words out in whatever way that you communicate but then also, the the nonverbal communication, spending time in each other's presence without distracts. Sex is a way that we, as mammals, communicate with each other. We know that from our, you know, uh, cousins in in other branches of our mammalian family. That th- so much of that is yeah, the way that we physically connect pr- allows us to be vulnerable and authentic with each other.
0: So, yeah. Thank you. So yeah, absolutely communication. Um, sex as communication absolutely i totally agree and time lisa and i were just talking about that yesterday our love languages and um hers is time just me spending time and paying giving her attention that's her love language number one we we have several but um that's her number one love language and uh for me it's it's words of affirmation weirdly um and uh these are things we need, and this is what we give to each other. So it's an interesting um how to communicate with one another in ways and, and encouraging and uplifting to one another. So yeah, talk.
1: Well, thank you so much for all of this incredible conversation today. I know people want to connect further after hearing all of this. What's the best way for them to do that?
0: Well, go to Naked.com and that that's my base um from which i instagram and facebook and tiktok and youtube and everywhere and i'm really really good at responding so if you email me or message me or whatever i'm excellent at responding to everybody who reaches out
1: and i can attest to that you've always been wonderfully responsive to me and that means a lot it really does so thank thank
0: you this was fun
1: awesome thank you so much Thanks for listening, Curious Queeros. Join us next month for an all new episode. Until then, stay safe, love yourself and remember to be the change you want to see in the world. Asking for a Friend is a Spectrum South podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Laura McGuire. This podcast is produced by Danny Benoit. Keep up with the latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and at spectrumsouth.com. For sneak peeks and to submit your questions or suggestions for future guests, follow Spectrum South on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.